Welcome to a brand new podcast. Uh, I'm Nick Cook, co-founder of The Goat Agency. And I'm Will Hamnett, heading up Jungle Creations in North America. How do we know each other, Will? That's probably a good place to start. Um, we're, we're mates now, aren't we, Nick? I think we're mates. It's gone beyond uh, professional life, really. We play five-a-side together, amongst other things. We certainly do. And um, yeah, as the name of the pod would suggest, we, we, we quite literally are just two Englishmen in New York, um, living and working here. And uh, yeah, we thought it'd be interesting to start a pod about our journey and our endeavours. What we don't want this to be, as we've discussed before, is a sort of preachy LinkedIn-type Gary V message where we are interviewing people uh, in marketing and getting really intense and deep and serious. Uh, we have recorded our first episode just now, which was amazing. And we basically said nothing because she was so interesting. Um, and we'll come on to that. But first of all, I think... It's important that we set some ground rules to make sure that we don't veer off and become boring and preachy. So what are some of the ground rules we want to put in place, Will? I've got a list of about three or four. Um, I think no agency promotion needs to be quite upfront. The last thing, Nick, I hate to say um, that people want to (laughs) hear about is goat or jungle in any great length. Um, I don't think there should be any self-promotion. I've got a number of side hustles that you've basically told me, Nick, that I can't speak about. Um, so the side hustle is very generous. We are not talking about your new Instagram account. We we might do in the future, and I will gladly <laughs> take the punishment if we have one set. Um, and yeah, I think just ultimately not too much boring marketing chat. So I think it would be good to set these ground rules so that we can check ourselves whilst we're going through the pods um, to make sure it's it actually um, ends up being as interesting as as we think it is. Perfect. So the first guest is uh, Danny Berkowitz, uh, who works at Pyroproof Underwear Company Brand uh, Thinks out of New York. Um, I've known her for a few years, but her story is incredible. So let's dive straight in. I'm serious. Move to a new city. We're moving to New York. I should probably buy a place in the city first. Are you here for business or pleasure? Hopefully both. Okay, welcome to the podcast. Um, Danny, how are you? Wonderful. Thank you, Nick. How are you? We're doing very well. Will, how are you? Are you alive? I'm alive. Well, we can hear me. We've got through the minor technical hiccups, which were all my fault. I'm really sorry, Danny, to keep you waiting. But I am yeah, here and excited to welcome our first guest. So I guess just before we, we dive in, um, to set the scene for listeners... Um, the whole point of this podcast is to interview very interesting people um, who either Will and I know personally or we've heard about and we're interested to kind of delve into their story a bit more. So, Danny, you are um, part of the community and brand team at Thinks, who um, are a client of GOAT. I know we're not allowed to talk about that. Will, you can uh, have a go at me afterwards. Um, uh, Thinks are a period-proof underwear company based in New York. But really your story, Danny, is fascinating. So what I'd love to do is kind of delve into it chronologically. Um, But from our kind of chats previously, we know you're very free speaking, you're very purpose driven, you're taboo taunting, um, you describe yourself as an edutainer, which we'll come on to. Um, But kind of, um, I guess more broadly, you are a Jewish um, Cuban lesbian, and you grew up in Florida, but went to school in Alabama and that I think to to Will and I certainly and to a lot of listeners will be a fascinating kind of story to discuss. So should we start at the beginning, Danny? Kind of where where does your story begin? Um, Yeah, I guess back in Florida. I would love to start there. Um, 
So one day, the mommy and the daddy, they loved each other so much. No, I'm just kidding. I won't. I'll, I'll, I'll skip ahead. Um, so I grew up in Miami, Florida. I am the daughter of a first-generation Cuban-American, my mom, whose parents immigrated here in the 60s. They uh, were definitely a part of the first uh, couple waves of people who were sort of escaping this um, communist community and needed to have have their own American dream. So they uh, immigrated over here, or emigrated, I should say, um, to Miami and sort of planted their roots. Um, on the other side, my dad, who ironically actually grew up in Philadelphia as well. So that's why I have a little bit of a kindred connection with this area because it's also part of my like ancestry at the same time. My dad um, grew up in Philly. He was the son of a rabbi, was not very, I guess, pleased with the fishbowl that comes with that and the sort of... Um, you know, the rules that you have to play being the preacher's kid. Um, And so he actually moved down to Miami to start his own career. So I come from people who like have been able to pick up their own lives and make do with it. Um, Both my parents are really strong-willed individuals and have always been very purpose-driven as well. So um, I think my story really, I can't, you know, I can't tell my story without starting there um, and from who I come from. So... Um, growing up as a Cuban Jewish kid, you know, that's like really intense bookends of culture. Um, but it's kind of the same because all Jewish mothers and Latina mothers as well, they, they just want to make sure that you're fed and that you feel really guilty. So, um, (laughs) my, uh, my mom and my dad were, are amazing parents and totally raised us in this really like hodgepodge, um, kind of like whatever you, whatever you feel, whatever you believe, you can be whoever you want to be. Um, and so I didn't really know that I was different or had like quote unquote diversity until I moved to Pensacola, Florida, where I went to college. So technically it is like Southern Alabama within like a few smidgets, um, of location. So Southern Alabama hits the panhandle of Florida very close. And um, that's where I chose to go to school. That's where I went. How to did you university. end up choosing that school, Danny? Like, did you, because for people like me and Will, Southern Alabama sounds very sort of conservative. And for someone as sort of free spirited and free speaking as you, it would seem a, a strange choice. But what was the reason you kind of went there? That's a great question. It was truly the only school that accepted me outside of Miami. Um, I had applied to like the local college and the university, but I didn't want to stay there. Um, Truth be told, there was some stuff going on at home that I was feeling like if I don't get out now, I probably won't like find an escape soon. So like taking that trajectory of like finding college and then going and like leaving was really important to me. I I also kind of felt like the people who weren't leaving Miami or who were kind of like staying, maybe doing like a community college thing, like taking it slow, like that wasn't the pace that I wanted to move at. I wanted to, my dream growing up always throughout my whole life was to live in New York City. Um, And just to kind of like fill it in that when I was growing up, I was a theater kid. Um, As you can tell, I have like a really 
a fearless personality and I love being on stage and I just felt alive. Like whether it was doing a play or whether it was performing, doing a recital, I did everything. Um, my parents kind of, when I asked them about this as an adult, they just replied like, we just didn't know what to do with you and all of your energy. So we put you in community theater and that's where I met my friends <laughs> and that's, and that's where I met my community. Um, so uh, when I chose to go to Pensacola, it was just another element of like, how do I put, how do I sort of push myself a little bit further, um, than others, but also how can I sort of break through my own barrier? And Danny, this is, this is, um, sorry to, to cut you off. This is at the tender age. I, I always get confused with the U S versus UK schooling or university system. This is 17, right? That you've, you've left the yeah. home, the home to go yeah. to college, right? Yeah. Scary stuff. Really, yes, and and it's very far. Like it's it's about twelve hours away from Miami. So if you look at the state of Florida, obviously Miami's the the most southern point. But I had to go north to be in the south, and quite literally, I was in the Bible Belt. Um, and so yes, I was this like Jewish Latina kid who was in an area where it was very conservative, very white, so to speak. Um, and kind of like Southern. And I don't know why, but that really attracted me. It, it was almost like, how can I, like, where can I, I think subconsciously I might've thought like, where can I put myself where I'll be the most different? Like, I'm so scared out of my mind about college that all I know is myself. So why can't, like, I think it was like, how do I, how do I put myself in a place where I'll still be able to know myself, but also challenge my boundaries and challenge what norms I've grown up with. Like it was a culture shock to move there. Whereas I would see someone from, you know, Pensacola, Florida, Southern Alabama, the panhandle coming down to Miami, Florida, where there's like a hot, a melting pot of people. Um, it's interesting that you, you, you went there with a very kind of a real self-confidence that you wouldn't be um, kind of intimidated and you wouldn't be influenced by peer pressure and sort of change the way that you were and change your identity. You kind of went there, stuck your heels in the ground from the word go and kind of knew that you were going to, you're going to be Danny for the, the, the rest of your life. Yeah. And that's kind of a consistent theme in my life. That fear is a tool. It's always been a, it's always been my fuel to move forward. And so like the more I'm scared, the more interested I'm doing, I'm in, I'm interested in doing it. Um, it's kind of sick, but I, I, it's, it's, it's taken to me to where I am today. And like you said earlier, like being a, <laughs> a taboo taunter, of course, of course I came up with that alliteration. Um, you know, I, I have names for everything and that's like a whole thing. Like I call myself an edutainer. Does anybody else do that? Probably, but I'm doing it. I've been doing it from now on since you told me about what that is. I'm, I'm now assimilating to, to the edutainer lifestyle and I, I want to be what you are. You need to be more entertaining to be an entertainer. <laughs> you have to take a few lessons well, from edu Danny. Educating too much <laughs> on my neck. Educating more than I'm taining. So like have, taking that, that chutzpah, like I'd like to say, it's like a Yiddish word for courage or balls. Really. Right. Um, I had the chutzpah to move to Pensacola and really like start my own independent life there. And I chose, so even though I was a, a theater kid and because I love being on stage that you would think like, Oh, I want to be an actor or I definitely want to pursue an acting career. But I, 
was really interested in education. So I decided to pursue a degree in women and gender studies. And that was still fun and involving my theater skills because we did things like, you know, bringing the vagina monologues to campus where we did like a production of Eve Ensler's show um, or for like, you know, a fundraiser or uh, I was in a sorority and I was, you know, in charge of giving historical, you know, or like I would, I would volunteer to do projects like how, do, how can we research how, you know, women work in communities and women work in organizations. And that kind of always led to reproductive health and sexual wellness. Like I've always just been really interested in that, even though I didn't get a degree in, you know, sexual health and wellness, I have always been very, very interested in talking about that stuff. And I think it's really just about like, how can how can I start a conversation for the questions that I have with other people who I know have the same questions? Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Well, yeah, um, I have a burning question. What is being in a sorority like for someone from someone from your background? My, my kind of assumption or the, the nascent knowledge that I've got a, about Greek life is that it's extremely unusual for someone with your heritage and lineage and where you've come from to be in a sorority. Would that be fair yeah. to say? Yeah, I mean, being in a Southern school as well, it's very, um, you know, it's either you're Greek or you go home. Um, And you're right. I was a little bit of a black sheep, but like, Will, I'm not even lying when I say this, I loved being the black sheep. I wanted to be more and more absurd, the more people were disturbed by it. Like, (laughs) the more people were disturbed by my weirdness, I wanted to do it more. Because to me... But weirdly, your weirdness, it it should not have been considered weird, right? For most progressive societies, you know, if you were doing what you were doing in New York, you would have been considered just the normal kind of, you know, progressive human being, right? Yeah. And at, at that point, I hadn't even come out yet. So it, like my own like sexual identity wasn't even like a thing then. But I remember being one of the first girls to ever come out in the Greek community on campus. And like, that was a thing. I, I remember, I remember people being like a little bit confused, because I don't know, I don't even mean to like, paint this with such a wide brush stroke that I you know, stereotype people who went to my school or live in that area. But um, whereas in New York, the queer community is, you know, is as diverse as every color in the rainbow. um, In Pensacola, it was because it's so taboo there, like the people who were visibly gay or like who identified as queer, whether they were a man or a woman, um, or were very like stereotypical. So like girl, I remember when I was coming out, like the girls that I was into were like the butchy tom girl, tomboy girls who were like um, really uh, dykey in that way. And that's because that's who was out there. Um, And there was probably other like, you know, femme forward lesbians that I may not have known, but because it wasn't just like as open. Um, But I didn't even really like date a lot of people in college. Like to me, finding my identity or just like sort of claiming my queerness was more so as like, this is just a part of my own journey. And also this is something I felt forever. And I'm just now identifying with it. Like it wasn't even a change. It didn't, I didn't have this um, like, come to Jesus moment of like, Oh my God, now this, now my life has changed or like now I can finally be free. Like it was just an, 
it's almost like an accessory. Like it's just an addition to who I am. Um, and it was more or less, um, sort of like when I was in a sorority, I would try to find space for others, like whether it was, uh, you know, doing other stuff on the university campus. Like, for example, there was no Jewish student association. So I started it. Um, I was the one of the first people to be a women and gender studies major at the university within the first, you know, 20 years. So it was I, I like being a pioneer. I think that that's what that's what it is. But I, in the moments, in the moment, I don't have that hindsight. I'm just I'm just doing it because I'm like this is right. Like my my moral compass points north always, and you know maybe that's not always the right direction. But I have a very good sense of there needs to be space carved out for people. And if I can if the least that I can do is at least say, hey, I feel this way too, then hopefully that can make someone else feel comfortable to find themselves and be more comfortable with being out. Did you find that you were discriminated against once you had come out or was it was that not the case? Um, certainly not by my parents or by my family. They were kind of like, I mean, I remember the day I called my parents like weeping, being like, mom, yeah. <laughs> dad, I have something to tell you. <laughs> like, I want to marry a woman. Do, do you think they kind of knew or were no, they thought shocked? that I was going to tell them I was pregnant or something. They were, they were like, <laughs> they, were, they were relieved. <laughs> um, you know, and fast forward, like I, 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 and with any partner that I've had, especially with Ari, my current, um, who I, I think is the one, um, my parents are so, so loving towards her and vice versa. Like I've, I'm, we're so lucky to not have that discrimination, but I also, that's a privilege check for me. And to realize like some people have really, um, unfortunate or misfortunate, uh, situations where their parents, you know, don't accept them and they're kind of kicked out or, but yeah, no, I, I, again, like, Nobody really cared. I was just putting myself out there. So if people were to say something, it was because I was putting it out. Like nobody was blatantly like discriminating against me for anything. Plus, like I just didn't give a shit. Yeah, I have no doubt you put them in their place. Yeah, kiss way. my ass. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was never going to. Plus, like coming out in college is so quintessential. And this bar doesn't exist anymore, sadly. But there was a bar in Pensacola called Emerald City. And it goes down as like the best club slash bar I've ever been to in my life. They had drag shows nightly. And it was just like they had cages that you could dance in. I mean, it was like like straight out of a movie. This is what you want your first bar experience to be like. And that's, that's where we, we built our community. I mean, I, I still have friends who we talk about, you know, having nights at EC and dancing the night away, but I'm lucky. I had a really, really great gay community to be a part of and to grow with and to figure myself out. Um, obviously, uh, colleges are kind of bastions of progressive thought and, places where marginalized communities can often flourish. And it's, it's amazing to hear that even in that kind of panhandle region, um, and I'm not even going to attempt to say the name of the, the college because <laughs> I just won't get it right. Um, first the time. University that, of West Florida is what it, it was, what the university is, but the city is called Pensacola. Pensacola, Pensacola. Sometimes I can get it right first time, but um, I, <laughs> I it, yeah, it's great to hear that even at somewhere like that, where it's uh, the location is within a, an area of the world, which is, you know, a bit of a, a risky place to be under your kind of circumstances. My question that I was just really keen to hear was like, 
what it sounds like there must have been a marked difference between when you were within the campus of that college um, versus when you were out on nights out, like outside of the, the college or going about your, your kind of weekend outside of the campus. Were there any uh, kind of hairy moments, so to speak, when you were being yourself? Like, did your outgoing nature get you into trouble to an extent or was it was it actually a, a smoother ride than one would expect in that, in that uh, oh part God. of your life? I get in way more trouble than I am and not. <laughs> um, but again, I, I kind of like wanted that. I, I don't, I, when I think back on those feelings, again, like the, the weirder I could get, the weirder I was going to be. And by weird, I mean the, the more different, like everybody was sort of like this cookie cutter example of, you know, Southern charm. Um, I call them like basic bitches, excuse my language, but like there were a lot of basic really? bitches. And there were people like, for example, I remember talking to this girl and she was talking, I don't know if this is appropriate or not, but she was talking about what, how her boyfriend needs her to shave her pubic hair in order to have sex with him. And I just like wanted to take this girl's shoulders and be like, yeah, no. Like, you don't have to do anything for anybody, and you don't have to change your body, change your hair, change your anything for someone to, A, be intimate with you or be like you. Um, and I just remember, like, that was a big deal. Like, I felt like, oh, man, I just really helped this girl because <laughs> she was – she went, I could tell, like, she was really uncomfortable or really sad that someone would discriminate her for how her body naturally is. Um you know, or at least I, I'm pretty sure I just told her, hey, honey, don't shave. You'll get bumps. Wax is better. Did you find that people would come to you um, gradually over time? People would kind of know that you were someone to seek out? Absolutely. I mean, I've always been the person that my friends went to, like whether it was even in middle school, like putting how to put a tampon in. Um, I've kind of always been that person that like ends up in these conversations, but I think it's I don't really know if you've seen the show Sex Education, Danny. It's a, it's a British show on Netflix, but the, the mom of the lead character is a sex therapist that he goes to school and becomes the sex therapist. I'm, I'm seeing some, you, you were the version. Um, that show is brilliant. I loved it. And yes, I totally, totally relate to that too. Like very similarly to how any, you know, professional in this in this arena would handle it like it's it's normal there's no, there's there's nothing to it um it's just society it's culture culture makes us feel that way like humans are not born with hatred they are not born um with disgust or anything it is truly our our society that shapes that for us and the people who we surround ourselves with so um i think something that is consistent through my purpose is that I, I my, like I just want to empower people to feel empowered. I I I, th I have nothing to empower them with other than the reminder that they are their own person. They are capable. They are beautiful. They are, you know, I hate this word, but they're normal. Um, like there's nothing. I think that a lot of the times people think there's something wrong with them or, for example, like whether it's your period or um, like I haven't had an orgasm ever. How do like I, there must be something wrong with me. I don't know why we skip ahead and come to that conclusion before we, you know, take into consideration ways that we can help ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very like, kind of necessary message even now. Um, I think that leads on nicely, Danny, to what happened kind of sticking with this chronological um, timeline, what happened post 
school because the kind of Danny, the educator, um, and the per- the person who can kind of listen to people and share some advice, uh, led nicely into what you did next, um, selling the sex toys, which is just incredible story for people like me and Will. <laughs> yeah, and I want to be really clear: like, I am not a sexologist, nor am I a doctor. Um, in any effort that I made, I'm always coming at it from like. A- just a human slash friend perspective. Um, But yeah, the senior year of college, I had uh, a friend pass away. Um, She died in a really tragic train accident. And uh, it was so debilitating. Um, It was so debilitating to me to lose someone who was my age and, you know, it was the first time I lost a friend. And I think anybody who's experienced that can relate. Like, there's, it's just inexplicable. Um, it, kind of, it kind of screwed me up in a way that I had to repeat my senior year again. And in that year, I decided, you know, I don't want to just do what I think I'm supposed to do. I want to follow my passion and I really want to break the rules um, and do what I think I can help people with the most, which is feeling confident in themselves. So that leads to one summer, I went to a birthday party and it was a passion party. This passion parties are, or were, it's no longer called that anymore. Um, But they were this like company where you could become a consultant to sell their sex toys and you would host parties in people's homes where you would um, you as the consultant would come in, do a little edutaining, if you if you ask me. <laughs> That's where it all began. <laughs> and um, see, it's been in front of our faces the whole time. You just got to identify it. Um, so you know, I'd, I'd come into you would come into these people's homes. You give them a little party, and then you'd like sell them toys off of this catalog. And you as a consultant would make a little profit from that too. So I thought, well, you know, now I'm a women's studies major. I finished my degree, finally did. Like it, it took me a while, but I finally finished and I decided, okay, right now the trajectory for a women and gender studies major is to go to grad school, get a teaching degree and become a professor or something like that. At, at the time, it was 2013 at the time. So like, I think where we are today is way more acceptable for you to be a sexologist or a sex toy person or like even just um, a sexual wellness influencer. I think that that's way more common now than it was back then. So again, like sort of breaking the rules in that sense, I a had always been the person to talk about this already. B thought, well, this is a great way to make money. Shit. I have nothing else to do. And I have this degree, so might as well put it to good use. And, you know, mind you, my degree wasn't going to tell me how to sell a sex toy, but it, it did teach me the foundational, um, it taught me how it taught me history, but also what we can do moving forward. So the, 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 the real, like, trigger that I pulled to do this was I became a consultant myself. I went to that party and I was like, damn, I can do this so much better than this girl who's doing it, (laughs) honestly. Um, And that kind of fueled me to be like, you know what, I'm going to take everything that I just learned and I'm going to apply it towards the shit that I really care about. So I became a passion parties consultant, I think in 2014. And I started driving my Honda Civic 
around Pensacola and putting myself out there. I created a business card. I had flyers that I made. Um, my hashtag was saved by the buzz. I was, it was called Pensacola Passion Parties. You know me. I love a good alliteration. So Pensacola Passion Parties was my was my shtick. And uh, I would get bachelorette parties to, um, you know, bridal party, by bridal uh, showers to like girls' nights. Um, and I have this one story that I know Nick and Will are begging me <laughs> to share about uh, the last. So, so I did this for about a year, and I saved money and always knew that I wanted to move to New York. And I was kind of in this limbo between finishing college and what my next step was going to be. So uh, doing passion parties was really, um, it was kind of a side hustle at the time. I I think I had another job that I was in between or something, but it was, it was providing me, um, you know, sustenance. And I scheduled this party and I decided, you know what, I'm really done. This is going to be the last one that I do. Like I can't be, you know, I actually had like an identity crisis. I was like, am I really just going to be the girl who sells dildos for the rest of her life? Like I can't be succumbed to a cock ring for the next 20 years. I need to figure this shit out. Yeah. It's probably not what you're, I guess, expecting when you go to college and do quite a highbrow humanities degree and a saddle with debt is that you're, you're going to go straight to dildos. I'm assuming after that, and that's going to be your, your life. Right. But here's the magic is that it wasn't about dildos after all. And it wasn't about the toys or the, you know, the lubes that would numb your throat, like all this crazy stuff that I would show. It was about the connection that people made in these parties to create a safe area, a safe space to have conversation and to like sort of put yourself out of your comfort zone. Um, And so I, I scheduled this party. Um, it, I would like begrudgingly did so. The woman who contacted me said, hey, this is actually a surprise for my friends. I'm the only one that's going to know that you're coming. Um, here's my address. Like it's for my I think she mentioned specifically that it was her church group. Um, so it was just like women wow. who she has like Bible study with. And I thought hmm, that's OK. That's a little weird. Or like I, but I, I'm you know, I trust the lady who wants to host it like. It would be weird if I were to pitch that, but like if she, it's if it's coming from the inside out, fine. So um, I show up at this house. It's beautiful. Um, I pull up my car. I have my like rolly suitcase that has all my you know trinkets in it, and I come in the house. And within the first five minutes, you know the surprise has been revealed. We're not actually having like a little gals wine night. Like this is more fun, and. I think that specifically this was a group of women who were widows as well. Like they had either like lost their partner or their, they were single or something like that. Like that's what, that's what was bringing them together. That was their commonality. And typically with the passion party, it goes in a very specific order. You first show like the topical stuff like lubes and creams and aphrodisiacs. And then you get into the hardware. And then at the end of the party, um, after it's all set and done, I have um, a private ordering room. So the ordering room is where the magic happens, where people can really ask the questions that they were too afraid to ask in front of everybody else. It's like a confessional to some extent, right? 
it's like a confessional to some extent if we're using like a church analogy right behind the curtain on the sly no one's got to know about it just you and me call me father berkowitz like (laughs) you um you're so on the nose that is so true it was definitely a confessional room and you know i would just sit there and i'd show them or i think i either had my like laptop up or you know i'd show them the catalog and we'd choose the things they'd give me their credit card i'd give them the receipt move on next etc the last woman who was the last person that came into my ordering room so like basically once the party's over, everybody chit chats with each other and then one by one someone comes in. So the party had truly died down. She was really like the last person there. I think that there had been like eight or ten women. She comes in the room and she says, hi, uh, I don't know if I really want to buy anything, but I just had a question. You know that thing you were talking about, that um, that roller coaster and in the party to describe because I I would also like sort of coach people on how to have an orgasm eventually like you would show people how to use the toys and then you could say like there's different ways to use this there's different ways to arouse yourself and by the way in my head I always wanted these women to use the toys on themselves it was really never about using it with your partner even though that was totally advertised it was like how can I help you come like how can I help you like arrive at a place where you feel comfortable with yourself and know that you deserve this. Um, and so I use the analogy of a roller coaster to describe a climax. And so she's like, yeah, I don't think I've ever had one of those. And I mean, this woman was like in her fifties. Right. And like, I could not believe that it had taken her. Or, and I guess like in a way this is, I don't mean to shame her and her and her story. And I'm so grateful that she had come to me in that moment and was like, oh, what are you talking about? Like, how do I do this? Like this, like she felt left out and I couldn't stand that. So I knew that I needed to help her. So I gave her a little pointers. $400 later, I sold her a bunch of shit and I bought my, I bought, my, I bought my ticket to New York with that. <laughs> I mean, you could buy a roller coaster for that amount of money. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so that's that's the quick story of my last party that I held. Um, and it kind of goes down in history as, like, that was the blessing that I needed to get to this next point. I've never spoken to her again. I have no idea. Hopefully she she's doing great. Um, hopefully she's figured it out. But... It was, it was really fun. I think that that chapter in my life was super significant to becoming an edutainer because it really was like, why be lectured about how sex works when we've already been lectured in middle school by a sweaty gym teacher about this? Like, why not make it fun? And I can entertain you. I can be funny. And um, I can use the skill. You know, I'm not an actor, but I can definitely use the skills that I learned from being in a show or performing it's uh I think it's truly admirable. I, I think um so I'm I'm actually glad we're not on on video or this isn't a vlog because I'm I'm obviously bright red right now talking about sex and, and being, <laughs> I'm uh, being a, um such a prude that I am. But I, I sex is such an important thing, um and it, it's really the cornerstone of a lot of people's lives. And it, it, it's just fascinating whenever I read anything, whether it's actually scientific and it's research paper or it's just cultural uh, commentary on sex it's something that we as a society not just america or the western world but truly globally have a massive issue um with in in, in terms of talking about it openly and also about understanding our bodies and our, our kind of sense and self through sex so i think 
honestly what you're doing is uh or what was is it was amazing i'm sure you still talk about it regularly but one of my questions before we obviously move on to in this chronological order to that that next step and that plane journey to new york and then landing the other side and, and that next chapter in your life i was curious to ask actually about um to what extent you built friendships through that process or if you were very much seen as like the edutainer who was this um, person that came into people's lives and got them excited about something and um, enticed them to take that step um, and to, to, to go and purchase a load of trinkets, as you you really nicely put, um, to yeah. explore themselves sexually, enjoy their lives. Or, 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 and whether you went away at that point or whether those friendships, a lot of the time, obviously not in this instance, but whether those friendships actually came out of it and, and lasted. Because um, it's obviously a very intimate thing to be discussing with anyone. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really, and that's a, thank you for asking that. Um, to know me is to, to love me and to know, and to love me means that like we're family as soon as we meet. And, um, I look back on that period and I am so grateful for the connections that I made, whether it was being an observer to a community that I'm not a part of, but I've been invited in, but also um, I would say the person that I am still in contact with, who I revere a lot of my like experience with that was, so let's be clear, this company was a multi-level marketing <laughs> pyramid scheme thing. Um, and so we had an upline and you had a downline. I chose not to create a team. Like I chose not to be like a, I don't know how to describe it. Like I chose not to be a team leader. Like a super affiliate. Yeah. 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 I just wanted to do my own thing. Um, it really wasn't about the money to me. It was about how do I make use with my talents and my passion. Um, but the person that I really connected with was my team lead, who was the person that like brought me onto her team. And her name is Angel. And Angel lives in Oklahoma. And Angel is literally to this day. So the company passion parties turned into, um, oh God, now I'm blanking. I'm so sorry. So they still do the same thing? Yeah, it, it's the same thing, but it, it changed owners. So Angel's still doing this. And she's like the number one dog. Wow. She's living in a massive mansion. Um, or she, she has, um, she's got a bunch of kids actually. And so she, and her husband works too, but I think that she's the bread maker, breadwinner, excuse me. So I think in a way it was like, if Angel can do this and make a shit ton of money and continue to like invigorate her communities. And it's also not even, you know, it's, it's like, sure, you can do one party with one person, but you're not going to redo that party again. Like there's no recurring customers. There's no retention. Or maybe there is. Maybe like every year you do a party, but it's all about finding new business. So if she could do that in an area like Oklahoma, which is in the Midwest, I could certainly do that on the Gulf Coast. Um, so yeah, I would say that she was definitely a uh, honestly, like a maternal figure for me in that way. Like she knew that I wanted to move to New York. She knew what I was doing. And, you know, she knew that's why I didn't want to create my own team because I was just doing this for my own thing. Um, that was a fascinating period of your life. It really is. I think, um, sorry if you're going to finish your point, Danny. I was just going to say that I'm on my own path as well. I am not an expert, nor am I someone who's coming out of my ears every day, <laughs> having the perfect sex life. Like I totally level and, and, you know, people learn better when you meet them where they're at. And so 
for me, it was all about how can I share my story so that I can help others. So I think that the next thing I think, um, which we haven't left ourselves a huge amount of time to discuss, but um, that journey to New York, I think there's something in, I'm fascinated by, um, which obviously you share with Will and I, that fascination with New York and the kind of desire to move to the big city. And I was surprised when I, I arrived in New York at how many Americans I met were not from New York. And there's this sort of mutual desire to move from wherever wherever you are in the US to um, the Big Apple. Um, and then obviously, we, we, it'd be great to discuss your role at Thinks and, and what Thinks does, because uh, you're very much using that same kind of purpose-driven educator, edutainer um, kind of mindset to ultimately be the, the kind of face and the voice of things, right? Um, so yeah, do you mind walking us through that kind of what were your initial um, instincts when you got to New York? Yeah. So um, I arrived in New York five years ago and I it was truly a leap of faith. Um, my first job in New York was working for Planned Parenthood. So again, like kind of on the same path, kind of taboo, not, not, not definitely, or definitely not something you would want to bring up at the dinner table. Uh, cause lots of people have different opinions on that. Um, but I, I, I would say that my New York experience has been very much of like coming to the concrete jungle and becoming self-made. Um, and, you know, even though my dream of living in New York when I was a kid was to be a Broadway star, um, I still feel like I'm I'm living my New York dream because I get to do the hustle. Um, when I was working for Planned Parenthood, the role that I had was as a canvasser on the sidewalk. So I'm not sure if you're familiar. You know the people you ignore on the street? The bucket shakers, as we call them, yeah. yeah. Uh, just to give you some context, I moved to New York in October, and I did that job from no October to March. So, like, that was during the winter time. And I'm a Floridian, <laughs> and being outside asking people if they want to talk about reproductive rights <laughs> um, or whether or not they support the recent bill <laughs> on abortions um, was, you know, a real conversation starter. <laughs> um but that, again, like, that was my first experience of being an activist, like, in a way, you know, I could kind of, like, be my own, you know, a fighter on the street and, and fight for the things that I believed in. And again, for the things that I that I had studied, and, and, you know, I knew the history, like, if I, honestly, my women's studies degree really kicked in there, because I knew how to talk to people about what the state of the situation was. Um, so once I finish that job because it was just kind of enough by that time. I ended up getting a job at an education tech company, which sold a software that um, we sold to like school professionals. I did that for almost two years. I was an account. I was a sales associate. I totally understood like this was where I got my like real bread and butter of how to become a biz dev person, like really building a pipeline, understanding what it means to support an account executive so that you can like close a deal through that. It was just like really good um, ABCs of sales. And ironically, they laid off the entire sales team at the end of that year, or maybe that's not ironic, but <laughs> they laid us off <laughs> and it sucked. Um, but it also was a great opportunity for me to pivot because I didn't move to New York to be a freaking salesperson of a tech, you know, school technology. I came here to do the dream. So literally within the, oh, 
10 day period between getting laid off um, and finding thinks I was hired on the spot. I did a vagina monologue in my interview with the founder. She shook my hand wow. and hired me. <laughs> and I started on the community, uh, the customer experience team. So being, um, sort of the frontline person at thinks and also learning how the product works and how to specifically talk to people about it and coach them on which product might work best for them based on their period was a whole other lesson in okay how do you talk to people about something that's taboo well i've been on i've been on the receiving end of this um education because i remember i mean thinks is our longest running client in the us and i remember two years ago walking into the thinks office and being told that we were having a product demonstration with the in-house period expert, um, which I believe is the first time we met Danny. You walked in as the period expert, and um, yeah, it was it was quite the demonstration. I was passed about seven different products, and um, to be honest, at that point, felt a little kind of out of my comfort zone. But yeah, it's it's been a a, a real journey, kind of working with things along that. <laughs> Do you mind just giving everyone a, a background to what Thinks is, Danny? Yes. Thinks is underwear that absorbs your period. We are, so Thinks Inc. is our umbrella of brands. Uh, we have Thinks, Thinks Between, which is period underwear for young adults and teens and tweens. And we also have Speaks, which is underwear for light bladder leaks. So we are in the business of making sure that you do not feel self-conscious or ashamed of leaking or that you won't experience any of those leaks. Um, yeah, Thinks, Thinks has been around since 2013, and we uh, come up with a range of products to suit heavy, medium, and light flows. Um, we also have active wear so that you feel comfortable when you're working out. Um, and we've, uh, we mean, we've dabbled in a bunch of other fun projects. Like one year we made a sex blanket, a period sex blanket, so that you didn't have to ruin a towel. Um, we have a reusable tampon applicator. So we are, I think, in my opinion, the pioneers of uh, an alternative reusable period product that is good for your body and for the planet and um yeah Absolutely. you really are i mean thinks from from my perspective nick i'll pull you up on going down a client route because we're not allowed to do that afterwards <laughs> um but uh yeah i think from a from a from a from a brand perspective and in that kind of menstruation menstrual space um you really are i mean thinks really is the market leader um, in terms of what it does. And, um, yeah, I've always, whilst we, we haven't yet worked together, um, this one of the first conversations, oh, this isn't a bitch, Nick. Stay well away, Danny, stay well away. I was going to say that I still need to send some things to your girlfriend. Ladies, listen to the podcast, I'm off the market. Um, but as I, as I was saying, it's always been a brand that I've looked to and I've thought, um, amazing in the way that it goes about doing what it does. I, I actually have a couple of friends back home in the UK who are, um, are, are part of the ambassador program um, and have been working with things for a couple of years. So um, you're, you're, you guys are awesome and, and it, it's awesome seeing what you guys do and, and the work you're doing with Goat as well has been fantastic. So yeah, there you go, Nick. There's a, a begrudged um, well done. It felt so sincere. <laughs> no, um, so, so we, you know, with the customer experience team, that was like, it's exactly what you were saying. We were the first people that you talked to 
um, when you come to the brand and if you have any questions on how it works, like we were your go-to. Um, so I started in 2017 at Finks and uh, within the first year I fortunately got promoted to being a community associate and so basically um, I, I really, really owe my success and journey at Thinks to our amazing leadership team who totally recognized my, you know, clawing at the at the walls trying to like get out there and put myself out so I can talk to more people. And um, you know, I remember having a conversation with Siobhan Lonergan, who um at the time was our chief brand officer. And I said to her, I was like, look, all right, so I have this idea. I'm calling myself an edutainer. Do you get this? And she's a very like strong, stoic woman from Ireland. So she was like, what do you mean? What's an edutainer? Like, you need to explain this to me a little bit more. But she, I I really do owe a lot of my, um, my journey and the opportunities that I've had to her because, um, we, we had done a bunch of, events and uh, like national and international trips together where we met um, our things customers far and wide and got to um, got to educate them with that and I got to be the the period management specialist PMS she um, loves an acronym <laughs> and alliteration um, so the I became a community associate and then just this past January I was promoted to senior associate of community and brand and I continue to <laughs> um no I I get to continue to co-lead our Thinks Leaders program which is our brand ambassador collective which started in 2018 um, Siobhan had also recognized that I was really into our community and tasked me and a couple others to build an army, build an army of Thinks people. And we called it the Thinks Leaders Program. And uh, it started off with 10 people who are our most loyal customers and like fans uh, who would like always show up at our events, always be there for us, always support us on social. And today we have almost 300 people. Yeah, the numbers out. <laughs> yeah, today we only, we almost have 300 people worldwide and we've had a very successful um like run with uh revenue and growing and people getting out there. It's basically like the way that I think about it is like brands spend so much money on marketing and ad spend and concentrating on what the ROAS is and like but you can't really manipulate someone through a computer or through an ad. You can make an impact interpersonally. And so the way that I think about the leaders program is that the leaders, the individual, is helping us get to the nooks and crannies of communities and social groups that we are not reaching. And every person who is a customer of a thinks leader is a new person to thinks. So um, I don't have a number off the top of my head, but we have... Um, really broken every barrier, like any goal that's set, that's given to us, we crush. And um, yeah, I'm really, really proud to be the, the sort of mama hen. And now you are a leader, Danny. 
yes, and now I became a thinks leader as well. So I am also an ambassador um, and get to uh, sort of look at it from the inside out, not only to help improve the program and to scale it, but to also participate as well. I think we, we get approached by so many different brands who say we would love a sort of, you know, grassroots ambassador program. You know, ideally it would be based on a rev share and we don't have to pay people and kind of, you know, the one that we would always point to is the Thinks um, Leaders Program, which has kind of become a real success, as you're saying. I think one one reason is because the Thinks brand is so strong and it's been so kind of smartly curated, but also just what, what the Thinks product stands for and the Thinks brand identity stands for, everything from kind of a female-led company to, you know, all the way through to sustainability and all these other values that resonate right now. Um, I think those are really important in developing those kind of grassroots programs because you've got certain kind of pillars that you can really draw on to kind of mobilize people. Um, I think for a lot of brands, it's much harder. But I guess what's your opinion, Danny? Do you think do you think uh, other brands should be looking to develop these sort of grassroots programs or do you think Thinks is in a unique position? We, that's a great question. We recently did a workshop with this company called People & Co. And I was profoundly impacted by their uh, teachings, which basically, in short, was it like community should be built by those in the community, not by the brand. And so like concentrating on community-led efforts, meaning like find your superstars and 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 just to, just to tell you like we're not experts in this already but what's the skills that i learned from this workshop have helped me um or helped us empower those who are already in our community to like start up a discussion or make an make an effort or make a video and to say like hey this is how i'm doing this how is everybody else doing this um so that it's like less brand led and more community led um I think developing your own army of super fans and, you know, not just referrals and not just influencers, not just the celebrities or the people who have a zillion followers, but those who are in the leaders program range from those who identify as women, those who do not identify as women, those who are doctors, CEOs, um, uh, moms, students, yoga instructors, athletes. We have an Olympic hopeful in our group. Um, they all range. So like really, um, I think the benefit here is try to get as many people with different voices as possible so that you can reach more people that way. Um, and I, I would say the grassroots happens effortlessly because if you're getting people to join or to at least share your product or idea, um, peer-to-peer conversations go way farther, way farther. And I think that's why I loved being the, the, the go-to for those who were confused or didn't know how things worked because I know I would just like, hop on the phone with them. I'd speak to people for like 20 minutes at a time, just talk. And then I'd, I'd like know their whole story after they were, I was like, so, you know, how many tampons do you go through in a period? And by the end of it, I know their social security number. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I got done, but I got done with one of those calls the other day. Let's not talk about it. <laughs> Danny, I had a, a, a quick question and, and sorry to, to kind of cut you off. And I, it's, it's such an interesting story. and it, It's a, an amazing journey that you've gone through full circle from, you know, very humble beginnings right the way through to, to, to working for this awesome business in, in New York. I had like a very burning, simple question, which is what is easier to sell? Um, 
sex toys and other drink other trinkets as you describe them as or um period underwear spoken like a true salesman will that's that's such a good question well here we are in 2020 we're in a pandemic and we're all quarantined at home what do you need more period panties or do you need a dildo or a a vibrator uh in my opinion you need both exactly i would say both um but if we're talking about you know a year ago like taking out of context quarantine or covid um or even just considering like when i was selling these things in 2013 like this was before trump this was before pussy grabbing and this was before the women's march and this was before christine you know blazy ford like there has been an uprising in feminists and an uprising in people who realize, holy shit, I deserve this. I deserve a better period or I deserve a better sex life, whether it's with myself or someone else. Um, so to answer your question right now, I think nichely, uh, they're probably on the same level of, this is a really, you know, important necessity, but I don't know if I want to spend money on that. I think from a periods perspective, since this happens every month and you know you're going to need it anyway, I think it's easier to sell (laughs) something that is definitely in demand. Um, But I would also argue that your own personal self-love and self-care is also, also valuable. Preach. Um, okay, well, we've been chatting for a long time, so I think we might wrap it up, but um, we are going to try and have a different podcast every week going forward. Thank you so much, Danny, for being the first guest. Your story is fascinating. We love you. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much, Danny. We love you, and thank you for all that you've done. GOAT has been such a huge part of us scaling our program and to help us be more efficient shout out to hallie oh yeah shout out to hallie jack everyone on the goat side this is gonna kill will keep this in the edit tom um (laughs) thank you will (laughs) how do you think the first one went will okay not bad the story is phenomenal fascinating cool all right well thanks both see you next time see you next time i'm serious move to a new city we're moving to new york I should probably buy a place in the city first. Are you here for business or pleasure? Hopefully both.